So welcome back to The Chase, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12 today, and uh, we'll get there in a little bit. But before we get there, I want to ask you, um, how old are you? It's interesting this morning, uh, my discussions that came up more than once were more than one of you came up to me and said, you know, I'm sure feeling old today, or, you know, I'm getting old, and uh, so how old are you exactly? My dad used to say, this is another one of those old earthy kind of uh, truths that my dad used to use to teach me and my brother some stuff. And he used to say this. When he would say it, I would think, that's dumb. Uh, if you live long enough, you're going to get old. And doesn't that sound dumb? If it doesn't, then just say so and we'll be done here because my whole sermon's built around that. That sounds dumb. It's like one of those things that's so obvious that it's, surely there's more to it. And as I got older, I figured out there was more to it than what he was telling me. I, I pulled a, uh, a secret experiment on y'all this week. How many of you have me as a friend on Facebook? I know I wouldn't want to admit that in public either if I were you, but uh, I pulled a switch on you this week, and early in the week I put... A picture of me and Teresa when we were four years old or so, um, seems like. Uh, it was our engagement picture. And so that was in 1900, none of your business. And uh, <laughs> uh, I've been intrigued with the comments that I've gotten all week long from that. Okay, Y'all are not nice. That's all I got to say, all right? <laughs> I get comments like, wow, she looks the same. Uh, and then they, and then you say about me, who was that guy with her? This is what 30 years of ministry will do to you. Okay. Just for the record. Uh, it's been interesting to watch y'all talk about me getting old and kind of comes back to me what my dad says. If you live long enough, you're going to get old. And so I pulled another deal this week. We had the opportunity, uh, me and my wife and Brian and uh, Spencer and Teresa Matthews went to a conference, a leadership, Christian leadership conference in Dallas or in the Dallas area. Uh, and it was Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And so we stayed at a hotel in uh, Addison, I think it was. And uh, it's one of those hotels where they give you free breakfast. Free breakfast. Usually you get what you pay for on that kind of breakfast. And in this case, we got to share a very small room about the size of our sound booth back there with 700 other Christians trying to go to this leadership conference. And so we're crowded in there and it's a struggle for the staff to keep up with the supplies. And, um, and so, you know, I like to kind of be nice to the people who wait on you at times like that because, you know, bless their hearts, they're working hard and we're standing there expecting service. And it's not even a restaurant that we're expecting service. And it gets a little testy sometimes. And so on this one particular case, uh, I was talking to this lady who was trying to keep the juice machine stocked up. And uh, I said something to the effect like, uh, well, it's a busy morning. And she said, oh, honey, I'm tired. And uh, I said, yeah, well, you ought to be my age. You, you know, I'm, I'm, you ought to be my age. You'd really be tired. And she looked at me, and here's what she said. Honey, we're both old. <laughs> and I thought, that's not right. You're supposed to say to me, you're not old. She didn't say that. <laughs> she said, we're both old. And I thought at the time, 
You're only, I might have even said this to you. Well, you know, they say you're only as old as you feel. And then I think immediately on the heels of that, surely I haven't lived that long and not been aware of it because I feel old today. I want to take that whole concept and let's kind of lay it in front of ourselves here today and let's kind of explore it together. Again, my dad's comment, if you live long enough, you're going to get old. So how old are you? One of the realities in life for us is that no matter of what stage of life we're in, God has a word for us. He's got something to say about your situation where, wherever you are today. So I'm looking across this room and I'm seeing that uh, I'm older than most of you, I think. Uh, and that's okay. Because you may be in a 20-year-old body and be 65 years old. How old are you? And wherever you are in that mix, God has a specific piece of information for you that'll help you. So let's look at this passage together. First, uh, excuse me, sorry, say First Corinthians. That's a whole other series. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And uh, we're also going to be into chapter 12 as we go through this today. And we're, we're on now the next to last message in this series we've called The Chase. The book of Ecclesiastes where the preacher, as we've called him, has begun to do this search and give us an account of his own search for meaning and for purpose in life. And in the process of all of that, he says, I, I really kind of came to this conclusion that nothing in life makes sense. But now we're in the final stretch, the, the run for the, uh, for the end here, and he's beginning to pull his argument down and give us some conclusions. And so we have today, and then we have two weeks from today. By the way, next week is Mother's Day. Guys, there's your public service announcement for the day. Next week, because it's Mother's Day, moms get a day off, and I'm going to talk to the dads tomorrow and the kids. I mean, next week. Uh, and then on Father's Day, we'll get the moms and the kids. Kids get no day because every day is kids' day. Okay, so let's look at this passage today. The next to last message in the chase where he begins to boil it down and give us some answers. And here's what he has to say. Chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Now I want to stop, actually. I want to step back from that. We're going to come back to it in a couple of minutes. But I want to take you back almost two years now. That was before some of you started coming to church here. And uh, just almost two years ago now is when Teresa and I came and became your pastor here. And uh, one of the first studies that I did with us on a Sunday night was a, a very intentional step on my part to help you have the tools you need to do personal Bible study. If you've not figured out anything else about me in the last two years, I hope you figured out that I don't believe it's a great thing, the modern Christian approach, which says let's hire experts to do our Bible study for us and we'll just sit back here and soak it all in. You need to be a consumer of God's Word. And churches haven't always done a good job in teaching people how to open God's Word and study it without you know, some person on a video telling us what it says. 
So from the very beginning, strategically, I tried to sit us down and say, here is one approach to Bible study. You may remember that. It uses an arc as the visual for us. Uh, you might visualize the one that's in St. Louis, the great, what is the great gateway to the West or something like that. I prefer something that communicates better to me. It's a McDonald's arch, but it's just half of it. Okay? Here's the picture. I'm going to take all those weeks of study that we did. I'm going to boil it down into about two minutes here. The idea when you come to study scripture is that you go from one end of that arc, which is the historical side of it. This Bible was written by a group of people, individuals who sat down at a particular point in history and they had a particular audience in mind with all of their own stuff and all their own situations and they had a particular message that they want to get to those people. And so there is that historical part of Bible study. And you have to start there. You have to understand the historical point of reference. But on the other side of the ark is today. And that's the part that says I need to take what Scripture says and I need to apply it to my life today. Some of the worst Sunday school teaching and Bible teaching is some that we tend to love the most. And that's where we go in just for a history lesson. And the teacher goes on and on about what we knew about the old part of why it was written and all of that. And we never get to the application. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study teacher in this church, hear me say this. Always, always, always get to the application. But you can't get to the application if you don't start right, which is the historical context. Okay? So here's the arc. And you go from the historical to the today. And there's a critical step right in the middle of that. That's why we call it an arc and not a line. At the top, when you ascend this historical study hill, at the very top is where you extract the principle of what's there. A principle is a timeless truth. It goes beyond time. It just kind of hangs out there as a, as a truth all the time. For instance, let's use John three sixteen. Anybody know how that goes? For God so loved the world that he gave... Now, we can use the King James Version. That's the one I memorized. It's a, it's a word I'd never use unless I'm quoting this verse, begotten. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The historical of that is the Apostle John sat down to write a letter. And it's some of the deepest, well, I would say it this way. It probably is the deepest philosophy tied in with theology in the Gospels. Now, Paul does some pretty good philosophy himself at other places, but he takes a philosophical bent. That's why you got the whole first chapter of John that would take me two years to get through if I was preaching through the first chapter. But his message is to a group of people, you need to know that God loves you. First century recipients. That's the historical. Now, we could go a lot more into detail, but that's the historical, Okay. What's the principle of that? The timeless truth. If you're struggling with John 3.16, this passage today is going to be rough. All right? The principle, the timeless truth is if God loved those people and John wanted them to know that, the timeless truth is God loves people. 
that's true for all times. It was true for King Arthur's time. It was true for King David's time, even though that was written after King David. It's true for our time. It'll be true for all time. God loves people. Brian reminded of that, uh, us of that earlier in, the, in this service. That's the principle. So what's the application of that? That's the now. Y'all are just totally underwhelming me here. God loves me. And by the way, that may be the entire message for you today. If you're in here and you're not too sure about that, I could stop now and it would have been a great service for you. God loves you. Okay? His story, current application in between is the timeless truth. The reason I give you all of that is sometimes, especially like in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's hard to get to the principle. Once you get the timeless truth, you drop right off and application is very easy, but you got to get the timeless truth. And in this case, the writer gives us these timeless truths, two of them to be exact. Actually, it's five of them, but they're in two different places. So let's look at what they are and let's see. Now, I just got through reading verses seven and eight. I want to come back to verses seven and eight because here's where we find the first two. Verses 7 8, here are three basic points. Verse 7, he says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Here's the truth. You ready? Clarity enhances life. You a good example of that? Drive down one of these windy backwoods roads tonight and turn your lights off on your car for about 30 seconds at 70 miles an hour. Clarity enhances life. Good, good illustration of that out of my own life. You see, my children, I talk about them a lot. Last week, you got to meet Colin. Colin was an evil child in a number of different ways. Now, now that you've met him, you understand that, right? Um, here's the deal. Colin ran with some kids who, um, well, I'll say it this way. We like to have our kids have their friends over to our house, all right? For a number of reasons, um, mainly so we could keep an eye on all of them rather than just ours. But we wanted to know who our kids were hanging out with. And we also know that a lot of kids don't really have good homes to hang out in. And we wanted to be able to say, to share Christian love with all of our friends, our kids' friends, and et cetera. So they come over the house a lot. And there were some ruffians, some renegades that were part of those groups. And uh, for a while, he hung out with a bunch of guys who rode skateboards and rollerbladed and that kind of stuff. And so it was after one of those kids was at our house one evening that we had been out doing something and we came in and the way our living room was situated, we had light uh, switches on three different walls uh, and any of them could work. And so I decided I would be the hero of the family, looking out for everybody, make sure nobody's hanging out, you know, broken into the house and waiting to cut our throats or something like that. And so I went in to the dark, Teresa and the kids follow me, and I went across the living room to flip on the light switch, uh, which, by the way, I bypassed one in order to get to the one I went to uh, because I'm smart like that. And I got to the middle of the room, and at about the time I stepped on that skateboard, one of them flipped on the light behind me. And so what they saw was me go whoop like this, just like on the cartoons. My feet went over my head, the skateboard went shooting across the living room, and I landed on my back. You should know that there are times in my life that I am not very 
pastorly <laughs> in the way I handle myself. That was one of those times. See what he says? Verse 7. Light is sweet. Especially if there are skateboards hidden in your living room. But you see the point of the illustration is that there are skateboards hidden in your living room of your life. Clarity enhances light. That's the first truth. Verse 8, the first part, is a second one. This is the one that kind of cuts against the grain with what we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's what he says. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So the timeless truth is, enjoy life. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Let's go and get the third one now. It's in the latter part of verse 8. I'll pick up reading where I just left off. He says, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So now the timeless truth is there's going to be a time that you cannot enjoy life. Clarity enhances life. Enjoy your life because there's going to be a time that you can't. That's how all of this pulls together here. The first place, three truths. There's another place that he gives us another truth. And here it is in verse 1 of chapter 12. And I know we haven't read there yet, so let me just read this part of the truth. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. I'm going to stop there. Let me say this before I get to the principle of that. You've got to understand that the verses and the chapter divisions in your Bible were added much later after the words were written. Okay? So another way to say that is, in you know, academic terms, is Scripture is inspired by God, the chapter divisions are not. All right? This guy on a donkey riding across the wasteland said, you know, it would be helpful if we had some information here to help us reference these things. So he started just almost arbitrarily adding verses and chapters and all that kind of stuff. And what that means is sometimes we come to Scripture study and we see a chapter break and we immediately think it's a break in the thought. And so he's like he starts with something else here, a paragraph break. This is a horrible place for a chapter division to take place. Chapter 12, verse 1, follows hard on the heels of the last verse of chapter 11. And so let me read from verse 11 on, excuse me, from chapter 11, verse 9 on, where he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You see how this is one thought that just continues through. So he says, remember. And it almost sounds like he's talking to a child here. And he sort of is. But it's a broader sweep than that. So this represents now the top of the arch for us. And so the principles that he's laying out, I'm going to take all of those and let's put them into this one basket where I think what he's saying to us is, you need to recognize the reality of life is that if you live long enough, you're going to get old. And getting old is not all it's cracked up to be. 
I thought, sure, I'd hear some amens from that, but most of the old people are asleep by now because we've been here for a while, including myself. Let me say it the right way. My dad used to say this to me. We're actually right about the time he started getting sick. I think that's the first time I heard him say, it takes courage to get old. Now, as a young guy, I thought, that's dumb. It doesn't take courage to sit around the house all afternoon, which is kind of what he was doing in those days. Throw in a golf game here and there. Or at least my perspective was that what was going on. And so I was kind of harsh with him about that. But you know what? I started getting old. You know what I found? It takes courage to get old. I had a friend of mine said this way. He said it best. At my age, if it doesn't work, excuse me, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. There's truth in that, okay? So now we come to this part of the passage, and he's going to begin to pick it up for us and show us in targeted areas what God's word for us is. But before we get to that, let me do a little application with us on what we've seen from this one set of truths. What is your enjoyment factor in life? For where you are right now, no matter how old you are, how much do you enjoy life? When you woke up this morning, nah, let's take it off of Sunday. Let's do it tomorrow morning. When you wake up tomorrow morning, is there a good chance that you're going to wake up and go, hot dog, it's another week. I can't wait to go to school, to go to work, to do whatever. I tell you what, I'm sitting there and I'm already thinking, man, tomorrow's Monday. You know why I do that? Because I'm old. Or at least, now here's the truth of my dad's statement that starts coming home. Or at least my thinking is old. What is your enjoyment factor in life? How long has it been since you just had a good time? Now I know some of you are going to go out today and say, my preacher said I need to live it up. I'm going to take a week off of work and I, I, everything goes now. Not what I said, but I do think you need to enjoy life. It's so easy to get on the treadmill of life and you just spend energy. And before you know it, 10 years have gone and you look around and you go, I don't like this. Another step here. Are you living with an awareness that there's an end to all of this? I've kind of already preached that sermon, so I'm going to move on pretty quickly. Here's the real question. What place does God have in your life today? Is he alive? Is he real? In my opening prayer this morning, one of the things that I wanted to do in the middle of praying with God, I wanted to hang something in our head, and that is that we don't just come in here as another checkbox in our daily schedule. God is God. Or at least he needs to be. And we often do our best to kick him off of the throne because we have our own agenda, our own thing to do. But he's God and unless he's a liar, parenthetically he's not. But unless he's a liar, our lives 
have to point out that life can be enjoyable, no matter how old you are. So now let's take another step. Those are the principles. Let's see what he has to say to us in three categories of living. Here's the first one. I'm going to make this one very quick because um, I hit it pretty hard in the early service. For the seasoned citizen among us. Here's how I knew I was getting old. When I got to be 30 years old, I was finishing my master's degree at Southwestern Seminary. One of the things about that degree is they make you read a ton of stuff. Every professor thinks they're the only professor on the planet, and they give you lots of reading for their class. You're taking four or five or six classes like I was doing. They just get loaded up and thousands of pages of deep reading every semester. So I got towards the end of that, and I started having headaches. And so I went to the doctor, and I said, I'm having these headaches. And he said, I understand. Your face is killing me too. I said, no, that's not what I mean. I got headaches. He said, well, let's do it. So he finally decided that my problem was my vision. And he sent me to an eye doctor. And how many of you are a little sensitive about being called old? Any of you? Okay. The eye doctor had the audacity to tell me that I needed bifocals. I thought to myself, I'm not even 30 years old. Bifocals are for old people. What are you talking about? I had old eyes. I still have old eyes. If you're prone to be sensitive about stuff about your age, you do not want to read the rest of this passage because he gets just flat out direct about old age and getting old. Now, as we read through this, I want you to notice that there are a series of statements that he's using and scholars are kind of divided, not not really like it could be, but they're kind of divided about whether this is supposed to be taken allegorically I say it's not. It's a dangerous way to just to paint all scripture interpretation that way. You get in trouble. Um, or it could be the picture of a town as it shuts up as a storm starts blowing in. But I think to fit the whole perception of what he's saying in the passage as well as the book, I think what he's talking about is giving metaphors about the aging process. So I'll stop every once in a while and highlight what I mean by that. Uh, here's what he says. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse two, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, that's your hands. You start getting the shakes and the strong men are bent. That's your skeletal system as you begin to kind of draw up. Verse 3, uh, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. That's your teeth. You get the picture here? Because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim. That's the eyes and what you're able to see. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of the songs are brought low. Uh, did you hear that, by the way? You know, last week when Colin was here, since he's not here, I'm going to pick on him heavily this morning. Uh, I went in on Friday. They'd driven through the night and got here about 1 o'clock in the morning on Thursday night, early Friday morning. I went, came to work, went uh, do some stuff, came back. And uh, he was still asleep, 11-something in the morning. 
And it fl- I flashed back to the time when he lived at home and he was going to college and uh, sleeping like that and up most of the night. Um, that's part of the picture of youth, the ability to sleep through anything. You notice how it is when you get old that a bird goes off outside your window at 5 o'clock and you're up? Or 4 o'clock in the morning, something happens and you're up and you can't go back to sleep? That's the picture that he's given to us here. We go all the way through verse 7. I'm going to stop reading where it is, where we are right there. Here's what he's saying. If you live long enough, you're going to get old. And when you get old, stuff stops working. The old people in here are going, yep, yep, yep. The rest of you are going, I don't understand. That's dumb. If you live long enough, you're going to get old. You'll figure that out. But see, here's my problem with it, getting old. Many Christian people suffer from the idea that just because you get old, you earn the right to be a jerk. You know what I'm talking about? This is the person who says, I've been up since four because the neighbor's dog was barking. And hey, get off of my yard. What are you doing over there, you dung punk? Get off of my yard. And turn right around and go to church and praise God. We're family. Oh, that's, a, that's not a praise God song. Either. Listen, there is no expiration date on John 10.10 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life abundant. And yet, because life breaks down, if you live long enough, you're going to get old and you start breaking down And your thinking starts breaking down too. Don't be a bitter Christian old person. But then he talks to the group who has the world by the tail. And that's 11.8 through 12.1. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Let me just show you these slides as we work through it very quickly. First of all, he gives a word of encouragement. That's in verses 8 and 9 where he says, enjoy life. He gives a word of direction. That's in 12.1 where he says, remember. In other words, keep God in his rightful place. Change your lifestyle if you have to do it. Bad company corrupts good morals. You remember that that we talked about a few weeks ago? So he says, make sure that you remember God while you have the chance. Because when you get old, uh, you could have a lifetime of ignoring God behind you. And that's not good. And so we go to the third one, which is a word of warning. This is 11.9. And I'm going to jump on now to the last set because this is part I wanted to really hammer down before we go today. He talks to the seasoned citizens. He talks to those who have the world by the tail. That's the younger set. And then he talks to those of us who are in between. 11.10 says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. How should one remove vexation from their heart? I think what he's saying is you need to make the most of the time that you have. He's been saying to us all through this process, don't go chasing stuff that is sure not to deliver what you need in life. So, make the most of the time that you have. These, by the way, for this set in the middle, these are your peak earning years. These are your peak productivity years. They're your peak influence years. 
Psychological studies show that. Sociological studies show that to be true. These are the days for you. And this is most of us in here this morning. But the reality is true. You live long enough and you'll get old. You'll get out of those peak years. And it'll be too late to go back and try to recapture productivity. And those kind of things that we just got through talking about. So he says here, be careful how you invest yourself. These are the days to make good decisions on how you're going to spend your life, how you're going to earn a living, what kind of contribution you're going to make to God's kingdom and to this world. But I need to say something to the parents. These are the days. When you look down that aisle or across the room, if your kids are a little bit older, and you see those sweet little cherub faces of those little angels that God has placed in your care, these are the days that you have with them. And if you live long enough, you're going to get old, and they're going to get old, and they're going to move away. Great illustration was given to us this week at that conference. A guy got up, and he talked about the time of influence a parent has with their kids. And I'm going to take it just from a teenage perspective. Parents, do you realize if my math is right, which it might not be, I can decline a verb like nobody's business, but math gets a little shaky for me. If I did math right from the age your child is 13 until they turn 18, you have 260 weeks to influence them. And this guy used the illustration where he had a jar and marbles in the jar and he had the number of marbles it would take to take a kid all the way to the time they turn 18 and out on their own. And when a week goes by, you just pull a marble out and throw it away because it's gone. You as a parent have a limited amount of time to influence your kids. And so you teach them towards 12-1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And if you're locked up on a search, on a chase for your own meaning in life, what in the world are you teaching them? See, we've we've got some real problems in our world today at this point. We have marriages that are so focused on their kids that the marriage itself is unhealthy. That is bound to create unhealthy children. One of the problems that I see on an ongoing basis and has been so for years is that many parents use their children as a surrogate spouse. You know what that means? It means I'm not getting along with my husband or my wife so much, so I'm going to just lock on emotionally to my child and put them in a position God never intended them to be. What happens when that occurs is we begin to co-opt our children to be our advocates in the wars that go on between spouses. And so we start trying to pull the kid to my side because after all, you know your father is a sorry, no good jerk. Kids can't hear that and not be affected by it. What are you teaching your children about remembering their creator? So many things that we put on our children, we force them into a maturity that they're not ready to have. By all means, please, parents, let your children be children and train them up in the way they should go.
I didn't think I'd get an amen out of that, but it's a good place for one, so I'll say it. Amen, preacher. Bring it. We're raising generations of kids who seem to have lost a connection point with the holiness of God. And parents put it on the preacher and on the different ministers on staff. Do something with my kids. It's not my job. Do something with your kids. It's your job. I'll write more about that in my blog this week, as you've already seen some of you. Here's the point. The writer of Ecclesiastes, in coming to his final conclusion, stops long enough to say, if you live long enough, you're going to get old, which means seize the day, because this is all you really have. So what are you doing for the cause of Christ in your life today? How old are you? Are you living these years of your life in grace or in a legalism that causes even your own children to say, I don't need that? How's it going for you? Let's pray. So, Father, we come now and we ask you to take this message and complete it in our hearts. Help us to see where we have gravitated towards an old thinking model about life where it just gets smaller and smaller and more compact. Knowing that you call us out into a world. Rather than shrink back into ourselves, you thrust us out into a world, but you also tell us, take life with you. Help us to get it right. Where we've fallen into the standard rule of thinking for Christians these days and sacrificed our role in the process, please forgive us and don't let us stay there. Pray these things in Jesus' name.